All right, biohackers, who doesn't love a yummy, creamy whey protein shake? Oh, it is such a treat. And I really love it as a meal replacement, post-workout recovery, maybe even a midday snack. So this is why I have to tell you about Puri Protein Powder. I absolutely love the bourbon vanilla flavor and the chocolate, but I think I got to go with the, the vanilla as my favorite. So it's smooth, it's delicious. And you know what else? It's pretty awesome that the flavors come from real natural ingredients like the bourbon vanilla seeds from Madagascar. And let's talk about quality because there's a lot of junk whey protein on the market that I would not recommend. So the Puree whey protein, it comes from pasture-raised cow's milk with no hormones, no GMOs, and no pesticides. This is because Puree's mission has always been to be the best at offering pure, clean, and superior products that, that support health and well-being. And what I think truly sets them apart is that they are fully transparent with their product testing. Every batch is third-party tested against more than 200 contaminants and certified clean by the Clean Label Projects. Not all brands can say this. Plus, each product contains a QR code so you can personally scan it and review the test results at home. I know you're excited to try it out. So what you're going to do is head on over to puri.com slash biohackerbabes. That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash biohackerbabes. And then make sure you use promo code biohackerbabes at checkout to save 20%. All right, let's get back to the show. You can either put out the fire or you can just turn off the fire alarm. Ibuprofen or the coffee or something like that is basically just turning off the fire alarm, but that's giving you a signal that there's a fire. And if you don't actually address the underlying fire, at some point it's going to do some serious damage, right? Hey there, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Renee, a certified nutritional consultant with a master's degree in nutrition. What's up? And I'm Lauren, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and Czech movement specialist. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. Our mission is to provide actionable steps so you can optimize your health, strengthen your intuition, and support your body's natural healing abilities. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 228 of the Biohacker Babes. My name is Lauren tuning in today from New York City, and I'm joined by my sister and co-host, Miss Mrs. Oh, sorry. Mrs. Renee <laughs> Bells. Going back in, in Las time. Vegas. Going back in time. What's Mrs. up? What's up? <laughs> hello. Hello. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. So today we are talking about one of my personal favorite biohacks of all time. It is an incredible technology. I think it's going to blow your mind if you are not already aware of it. But um, more importantly, we're going to really get into the science of the nervous system and how it relates to the physical body when we are dealing with injuries, pain, any challenges that we we think of in the physical realm. So I would say this episode is for anyone that is this challenged by pain or injury, whether that is something acute or something more reoccurring and chronic, or if you know someone in your life that's dealing with something like this and they are feeling stuck and maybe I suppose we could use the word hopeless because it, we do circle back to that in the episode. I think when there's pain and injury and you feel stuck in this way, it can feel like there's not a lot of hope. Like how could I possibly feel better? And 
our amazing guest and friend, Garrett. Garrett Salpeter is going to explain how we can actually enhance the body's natural healing abilities by understanding how the body works through injuries, but then also through this technology that he has created, which is called the Newbie. And the Newbie is an acronym for Neurobioelectric Stimulator. So essentially, it's an an innovative approach to e-STEM therapy. So if you've experienced e-STEM, maybe at your physical therapist's office, it is a little bit different because it uses DC direct current rather than AC alternating current, which is the, the norm with a lot of these devices. And he'll explain what that is in the episode. But we're addressing the root cause of muscle dysfunction so that we can optimize our body's physical patterns through our neurology. Really fabulous. I've had amazing success stories myself and with clients and friends and Jeremy. So many amazing results have come from this. So we're really excited to drop into the science behind it. Yeah, I think it's just such an incredible device. And I I love the whole concept of going after the nervous system. Like throughout the episode, I was kind of thinking about like, um, you know, we talk a lot about microdosing and emotional trauma and things like that. And it's like when you have this trauma, you know, the body can't break through and heal. So whether it's emotional trauma, physical trauma, nervous system trauma, like stuck in that fight or flight, we have to get to that before we can do like maybe like the rehab side of things. And and yeah, anyone that has a stubborn injury, Lauren, I'm going to definitely uh, get you to work on my knee when we're together for Christmas. Um, I know this episode's coming out in January, so stay tuned on that. But yeah, I think if you have this reoccurring injury and you've done all the biohacks, the red light and anti-inflammatories, which are all amazing for sure. But if you're not getting to the root cause, you're just going to keep putting those biohacking band-aids, I would say, on top. Not so. the biohacking band-aids. Biohacking band-aids. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think sometimes we unknowingly use band-aids, right? We think we found yeah. a solution, but the theme of this show often is we got to keep zooming out, zooming out, zooming out. And this is a fabulous technology and and scientific perspective to yeah. help you do so. Yeah. Garrett's an absolute genius. So he is. So let me tell you a little bit more about Garrett. He is known as the health engineer. Garrett has taken his training in engineering and neuroscience and used it to create NuFit and the patented Newbie device. He trains doctors, therapists, and professional sports teams and universities in how to apply NuFit with their patients and athletes, helping them recover faster from injury and optimize performance. He is the best-selling author of the book, The New Fit Method, which we'll drop in the sh- uh show notes below, check that out. And the host of the undercurrent podcast. So if you're very intrigued by this episode by him, you can learn so much more on their podcast. It's really fabulous. So let's talk about some healing, shall we? Let's do it. All right, let's do this. Welcome Garrett to the biohacker babes podcast. Thank you, Lauren and Renee. It's such a pleasure to be here. We're excited, excited to have, to have you. you. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're listening to this on audio, we're going to urge you to go over to YouTube so you can see the video so you can see Garrett's very cool background. And cool and, t-shirt. And cool t-shirt. Very cool t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> it's, worth so, it. it's worth it, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> YouTube views. Yeah. So Garrett, this is a quite a bold statement, but you have created the solution for all of my aches and pains. <laughs> When I first discovered NuFit, I was trying to heal an ankle injury and I tried everything. I pulled out all the stuff, all the tools in the toolbox, acupuncture, peptides, red light, physical therapy, anti-inflammatories, PEMF, you name it. And nothing really moved the needle until I tried the newbie. 
And I felt a shift finally after all this time. And after two sessions, I felt brand new. So I'm going to just dangle that carrot there for the audience. And then I want to kick off this episode with having you explain to us what happens to the body when we get injured. Because I think that's sort of an essential understanding before we get into how the technology is working. What's happening to our body when we get injured? I'm so glad you shared that example because I think that's an excellent jumping off, excuse me, jumping off point. And the 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 dynamic there kind of plays plays beautifully into this discussion where whenever there's an injury there's there's essentially two components to it there's possibly hardware damage whether it be a bone a muscle tendon ligament nerve etc uh, and then there's there's kind of the software component to it which is how the nervous system responds to that injury or trauma and the the nervous system really is the software of the body just to kind of set the stage here where you know, our muscles don't don't do anything on their own. They either contract or inhibit or, or relax based on the signals from the nervous system. So they're they're good soldiers doing what they're told to do at every moment by their commander, which is the brain and nervous system. And when you were doing things like taking peptides and using red light, uh, and you know all these other all these other interventions, those are those are great for helping to provide the the resources and send blood flow and, and energy and raw materials to help heal and repair hardware. So there often can be value in that. But it seems like based on your experience for your injury and, and for, for many people's you know, injuries and chronic source of chronic pain and stuff like that, for you, it was actually more of a software issue where because of the initial injury, was it you rolled your ankle? Is it Was it when you're in a performance or what was the source of the injury? It was multifactorial. I actually was experimenting with a healing device that I shall not mention. And then I went to perform in Wicked on a raked stage in point shoes. So I think I put my ankle in a vulnerable position and then I did some, you know, aggressive work on it. And um, yeah, it turned into like very acute, very intense pain, like pinching pain in my ankle. Mm -hmm. So in response to that, you know, you're on stage and you, you roll your ankle, there's potentially the hardware damage, but that software component, which seemed to be more relevant for you here, that's where in response to that, to that, that insult of, you know, rolling the ankle, your nervous system creates this whole pattern of this whole host of protective patterns in response. And so that can be include things like shutting down some muscles, like creating a lot of tension and holding on, embracing, holding on for dear life in others. Um, it can be a hypersensitivity and the perception of threat that leads to leads the brain to create this signal of pain. Pain is the brain's way of telling you, hey, don't load that ankle or don't use that part of your body or do something different, change your behavior. And so there's this whole suite of protective services, uh, protective patterns that your your nervous system is imposing there all with an eye towards trying to prevent you from moving because it's thinking we don't want to hurt this area any worse. Uh, it's thinking we we need to brace and protect because we could get attacked again. This tissue could get attacked again at any moment, you know, wh- whatever it might be. And so uh, when you're locked in that pattern, and, and sometimes those patterns become ingrained habits and, and they can linger on even after any of the hardware damage has been healed. So even after the peptides and red light and PEMF and other things have helped heal it, those patterns can still linger on. And so, you know, enter the newbie. Now it's able to come into the picture and work on your ankle and actually scan around on your body and identify exactly where these patterns are being imposed. And so that's one of the first keys is if these 
if we know these patterns exist and we see evidence of them, the question then is, okay, where, where exactly do they exist in the body? So being able to take one of those electrodes and scan around on the body and find where those protective patterns are being imposed is the first step. And then being able to, to stimulate those areas as you go through different movements. In the beginning, probably gentle mobilizations, and then maybe then maybe even work to being up on point or doing more, more heavily loaded, more aggressive types of movements with it on so that you essentially accelerate that process of neuromuscular re-education is the, the fancy term for saying, you know, teaching, re-educating, teaching your muscles and nerves how to do what they need to do again to get them back into a more natural, healthy, efficient state. So it accelerates that process. And a large part of how it does it is not by building new muscle or, or helping you gain any new ability, but simply by down-regulating that protective patterning. So it's sort of like if you were driving your car, you were trying to hit the throttle, but you had your other foot on the brake that was holding you back. And so this was basically desensitizing you in a way that allowed you to, to take that other foot off the brake and just get back to your baseline level of function. Mm. We're creating safety in the body so we can retrain. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. It's so interesting. We we think about um, we think about a lot of times these these limitations as flaws within the body, but they're they're there for a reason. That's exactly like you said, it has comes down to safety. The brain doesn't think that it's safe for us to use those areas or move in certain ways. Same thing, fatigue is actually a protective response within the body. You know, the, the body, you know, especially like the mitochondria and this, you know, think about the cell danger response and different things that I, I believe you've covered in, you know, in your content as well. You know, fatigue is actually the if there if there's a an infection or, or high level, high concentration of toxins in the body, that's the calming down the metabolic rate is actually a way of almost like going into a temporary hibernation of being able to, being able to say, okay, we're not going to pull these into the cells. We're going to slow everything down just enough to keep us alive, but not, but not uh, run the metabolism at too high of a rate. Cause then we're going to, then we're going to churn through these. We're going to bring them into the cells and cause more damage and accumulate more toxins and damage and, and create problems. So a lot of these times when we think something's wrong, it's actually a perfectly logical, perfectly normal response to the body. And it's, it's up to us to go upstream and find the right signal that we need to give in order to change, you know, give that, get that first domino and change all those downstream signals. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point why we shouldn't just use the Band-Aid approach. So whether it's fatigue, covering it with coffee or pain, covering it with an ibuprofen, like, right, you're just, you're masking the problem, which can be really problematic. The hot spot thing in the body where, so like say Lauren's ankle and Lauren, I don't know, did you discover, was that coming from somewhere else in the body and wherever it is starting, does that typically, do you typically find that that's like an old injury? Is it a random spot that the body is just kind of holding on to? What's going on with like the starting point? Yeah, maybe we yeah. can talk about how pain isn't always localized to the area that we think it is. Like our brain starts to tell us like, this is where the injury is, but there are other places in the body that are preserving or protecting. And that's where we're getting that kind of fight or flight shutdown. We can then zoom over to like how we do the scan and diagnostic. But what, yeah, can you explain those hot spots and how it's not always localized to where we think maybe the pain or the injury is? Yeah, for sure. And just just one little addition on your comment there, Renee, about not just putting on the Band-Aid. I love the metaphor. This is nothing new or revolutionary, but the metaphor of saying like, if there's a fire in your house, you can either put out the fire or you can just turn off the fire alarm. And a lot of times the yeah. ibuprofen, ibuprofen or the coffee or something like that is basically just turning off the fire alarm, but that's giving you a signal that there's a fire. And if you don't actually address the underlying fire, 
at some point it's going to do some serious damage. Right. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I like for me, my, my left knee has just been like the problem child for 20 years. And sometimes when I go to work out, like my friends will be like, Oh, why don't you just take like a painkiller so you can run and be okay. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm thinking, if I was pain-free, I know what I would do at the gym. <laughs> I would like push it probably way harder than I should. So for me, it's almost like not taking it as my protective mechanism. I guess that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that's good. I, I, I applaud you for doing that because uh, there's you know also downstream negative consequences to relying on you know non-steroidal anti-inflammatories and all, all that stuff. We don't need to go down that one, but uh uh, hopefully yeah. we can figure out a solution for your left knee pain here too. I mean, we, can, yes. we can workshop that during the session, but in I'll terms see, of that, I'm going to see Lauren for Christmas. Hopefully I think you'll have your, uh, your machine up and running. Oh yeah. At Christmas oh, time. Yeah. All right. We'll scan. So actually maybe yeah. we could zoom out and talk about the actual technology and the current that you're using that is different than a lot of other, these therapies. Cause I know when I introduced this to people, Oh yeah, I did that. No AC current. It, physical therapy. Can you explain the current and then the capabilities of the scanning, the diagnostic and the, the therapeutics? Yeah, for sure. And that'll be a good, that can be a good segue into then the the topic of how, you know, issue pain shows up in one place, but the underlying issue may be coming somewhere else up or down the chain, stuff like that too. So, so the, what makes the newbie unique, you know, there's, there's a lot of tens units, interferential, a lot of things, you know, that, that people have seen, and you might be wondering, why do we need another electrical modality, right? It's kind of a, a, a crowded space. And so the answer is that this is direct current rather than alternating current. And it does some really unique things in the body that are very worthwhile and beneficial. And the the history is a little bit interesting. Some of these benefits that we'll talk about in a moment, some of these benefits were known lit- literally back in the 1960s, 1970s. But there was always a problem where when you get high enough levels of direct current into the body, therapeutic levels, it would sting and burn the skin. And so the Soviets, would, when, they were, when they were trying to, to assert their dominance and prove that communism was the superior form of government, they, they wanted to use sports as a way to show their, their power and superiority. And so they had this, this really incredible athletic program and they would literally literally burn their athletes when they were using these older direct current modalities and they could do that for mother russia but it didn't didn't translate very well here in the west so i'm not so, sure <laughs> so for decades it was a case of the baby being thrown out with the bathwater direct current was you know essentially cast aside and and then in its place filling that void came all of these alternating current modalities the tens units the interferentials the russian stim which is different from what I'm talking about the Russians use, but Russian stim is kind of a generic name for a type of alternating current now. Uh, so there's all these different modalities that that people likely have used in a, in an athletic training room or at a doctor's office, chiropractor's office, physical therapist's office. And so the issue with those is that you essentially miss out on these two main benefits of direct current. So one of them is, one of them is when you have direct current, you have an electric field gradient. So a gradient is just simply a a potential energy where it's like if you have a ball at the top of a hill, it would roll down that gradient because of gravity. Likewise, if you have an, an electric gradient on the body, any electrical charges are going to move. The positive charges in the body are going to move towards the negative side of that of that electric field and, and vice versa. So it causes this direct current field can cause charges to move in a way that at least in animal models, we've seen 
can help with healing and regeneration of bone and muscle and connective tissue and and possibly nerves even and, and these different wonderful things. So there's this body of research in looking at animals and the effects of direct current. And we actually just completed a study that uh, we hope to be able to share you know, soon around the time that this podcast is released or at least within the next few months. But we just completed a study looking at diabetic neuropathy patients in their 70s. And these are patients for whom the best answers really are those band-aids that you were talking about, Renee, where the best answers are just, you know, medications to kind of quell some of the symptoms. And no one ever really believes or has seen that these patients can heal or improve in any really meaningful and significant way. And when we did this study, we actually had, it was about 150 patients, 75 were going through traditional TENS unit alternating current treatments. The other half, the other 75 were getting direct current treatment with the newbie. And with the group that was seeing, sorry, with the group that was using alternating current, we saw what most people expect, which is little to no improvement. With the newbie group, however, we saw actual significant improvements. So, so subjectively, they were feeling better, moving better. And here's the cool part. I guess it's all cool, but even cooler part, objectively measured with EMG and nerve conduction velocity. So, so imagine you have a wire and you actually stick needles and you can measure how much information is being transmitted, how fast it's going. Like if you were going to measure the speed of your internet, internet connection, you can do the same thing with nerves in the body. And so we saw actual improvements in the, the bandwidth, how much information is being sent, how fast it's being sent. And so that actually shows improvement in axons, in myelin. So there's actual, actual healing and regeneration here. So to our knowledge, at least, this is some of the first evidence in humans of some of these same effects that we're seeing in animals of how direct current can help with these some of these healing and regenerative processes in the body. So got to give the caveat that, of course, it's one study, you know, there's still a lot more to learn and things like that. But but it's very exciting because it speaks to one of these categories of benefit here. Uh, just for reference in that study, this was two treatments a week with our foot bath protocol, which we may or may not talk about, but the foot was, you know, foot was immersed in water. Then the other pad was up at the base of the spine. So the current's traveling through the whole length of the nerve and two treatments a week for six weeks. So, you know, it was a longer, you know, lo longer term, you know, related, you know, compared to just one session, but not really that long overall. So, so that's one category of benefit. What we're better known for probably, however, is the, the other category of benefit, which is the, the more immediate functional effects on the nervous system. And this is like what you were talking about, Lauren, with, with your ankle, where we can scan around and find where the nervous system is guarding or protecting and accelerate that process of, of neuromuscular education or repatterning or retraining. And the reason for that is because of the unique effects on the nervous system. So, so just backing up a second, if we're using alternating current, the signal is going back and forth, back and forth, positive, negative, positive, negative. And that signal one is foreign to the body because our nervous systems use direct current. So it just by itself can create a little bit of a stress response within the body that you know may or may not be significant, but certainly not helpful. And then, and then if you look at what's happening in terms of the neurological signaling, remember that the muscles just do what they're commanded to do by the, by the brain and nervous system. And those signals, as it goes back and forth, you're actually causing muscles to co-contract and fight against each other. So a positive, negative, positive, negative, you trigger this environment of co-contraction. So going back to our car metaphor, it literally is like you're training yourself to hit the throttle and the brake pedal at the same time. And so if you're trying to make functional improvements in the body and help the, the neuromuscular system function more efficiently, you can imagine that's probably going in the opposite direction, right? So there's there's a, a, a ceiling on what you can accomplish 
with those alternating current devices. With the direct current, we're able to bypass all or virtually all of that protective co-contraction so we can get a lot more sensory input called the afferent nervous system. So it's like having a northbound and southbound lane of traffic. If the, the efferent is the southbound from the brain down to the body, the signal to turn muscles on or off to operate all of the organs and everything. And then the, the northbound lane of traffic, the afferent, is all the signals from the from the body up to the brain, letting the brain know what the heck is going on. And so with the direct current, we're able to, to send basically those same northbound afferent sensory signals as if the body is moving. And based on that, we can tell where the body is, is able to move well and where it's not. Because if it is able to move well, if we were scanning Lauren somewhere on your ankle or Renee somewhere, on your, somewhere around your knee, scanning muscles that were working well, your brains would see that and say, oh yeah, that's just that muscle doing its thing or stretching to this length or handling this load. And there's nothing threatening about that. We know it's within our current capabilities. However, if we stimulate an area where you're actively guarding or you haven't been using that area recently, then your brain's going to see that and say, whoa, 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 Renee, we don't do that. Lauren, you're not supposed to use that area right now. And so you have this alarm response and it basically feels like you scan around, it sort of feels like you're finding a trigger point. But the direct current, because of that, that effect on the nervous system, the way we can communicate with the nervous system, it allows us to find those areas. And then the, the way that you find it is basically the same way you fix it. You send that signal so that the brain and nervous system say, whoa, whoa, whoa. But then it sees enough times that it says, okay, okay, okay. And you essentially, <laughs> essentially desensitize that area as you go through different movements. And there's a little more sophistication to it than that. But that's, you know, at a high level, that's essentially how it works and why the direct current is important and valuable. And then just to close the loop, we we were able, you know, part of what's, what makes this technology special is that we have been able to find a way to get that direct current into the body without stinging and burning the skin. And so we're now able to to harness those benefits. Ah, I was going to ask That's that. That's good for people to know. It doesn't hurt. <laughs> that bad. <Not> Russia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So okay. we're pro providing this continuous kind of clear communication, periphery to the brain, so the periphery to the brain. So we can kind of tamper fight or flight and increase that sensory information. As you said, it sounds so clear to me we're trying to recover from an injury. We want to get out of our body's way and allow it to do what it naturally knows how to do. But it seems like as humans, we're always interfering in that we're interfering with the natural healing abilities. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And if you think about, if you think about what we would need to heal, you know, how we would have healed perhaps in the, in our hunter gatherer days, you know, just as a, as a thought experiment, imagine that you imagine that you are a hunter gatherer and you roll your ankle, likely not in point on you know, on a stage performing wicked, but whatever it might be, right. You, you trip over a twig. If you are, yeah. if you're, if you're like, can't move or you're limping around, you could be more vulnerable to attack if the, the people in your tribe and community are having to carry you around, they can be moving more slowly, potentially also be more vulnerable. So you likely would start moving and walking faster. And eventually you, if you were to, if you were to just walk through it, walk through it, walk through it, as long as you can strike that balance where you don't hurt it worse, which is a whole other question. If you can kind of move through it, move through it, then you essentially get to do the same sort of thing. You get to show your brain over and over again that we can do a little bit more, we can do a little bit more, we can do a little bit more, we can do a little bit more. And it, you can allow it to downregulate those protective patterns faster. We just now have the benefit of technology and you know knowledge of neuroscience and everything that, that allows us to go through that process much more safely and and more quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we're we'll very fortunate to that. today that we don't have to 
<laughs> Live like our, our ancestors did. What's up, biohackers? January is here. Can you believe it? And I'm kind of curious, how are you doing with your New Year's resolutions? I'm not really a fan of the new year, new me kind of thing. I would rather recommit to all of the health strategies that I know help me feel best. My biggest priority is always going to be getting the best night's sleep possible. So if I could do just one thing to improve my sleep and overall well-being, it's going to be taking the number one mineral for sleep, which also helps me personally on so many levels. We all know how superhuman we feel after a good night's sleep. So what is this magical nutrient? You guessed it. It's magnesium, actually. And I am talking about magnesium breakthrough by Bioptimizer specifically. The seven different forms of magnesium in this supplement are involved in well over 300 different enzymatic reactions in the body. Pretty much every function in your body gets upgraded when you take magnesium. From the quality of your sleep to your brain function to better metabolism and stress resilience. And let's face it, even if your 2024 resolution is not to focus on your health, how are you really going to be able to achieve all of your goals without getting that quality sleep and stress resilience that you deserve? If I could just share one piece of advice, I would say go take Magnesium Breakthrough, make it part of your daily routine so you can get the vitality you need to conquer your dreams this year. It is all possible. If you're ready to upgrade, go to bioptimizers.com backslash biohackerbabes and use code biohackerbabes10 to get a 10% off discount. That is bioptimizers.com backslash biohackerbabes, promo code biohackerbabes10 today. All right, biohackers, to conquering your dreams in 2024. Let's get back to the show. So back to with when you do find the hot spot, like I'm so curious, like why, why is that the area for people? Like why is that the protective spot? Is it totally random? So that what we're trying to do is go upstream and figure out where the dysfunction is. And so if Lauren's ankle is hurting her and we find something up in the one of the calf muscles or in the uh, peroneal muscles out on the side of the shin or the tibialis anterior or something like that, we find if we find an issue there, well, first of all, if we find an issue, we could start to build a narrative and say, oh, this likely was dysfunctional beforehand and that led to your injury. Or it could be responding like this in response to your injury. Since we're since we're there in that moment, we don't know because we don't have the the previous information from having identified that before the injury happened. But what our, right. our goal would be essentially both of those would be to find any pre-existing dysfunctions that made made someone more vulnerable to that injury in the first place. And then also find where the guarding and protecting is happening in response to that injury and help accelerate that that recovery process so they can start functioning normally again in a way that supports the body better as it heals and makes it less likely again that the problem would come back in the future or turn into some sort of you know chronic pain condition so so we ultimately want to find both and there you know it's interesting sometimes you know we just talked about Lauren's ankle but sometimes with with a knee injury or sometimes with a you know it's it's football season now when we're when we're recording this like towards getting towards the end of bowl season you know NFL playoffs and stuff. So a lot of football players we work with, you know, they, we see a strained or torn hamstring muscle is a, is a common injury. And sometimes it'll be the medial or inside hamstring. And, and sometimes we'll scan those athletes and we'll find that the issue is actually 
the adductors, you know, more immediately, more inside, like the groin muscles or the lateral hamstring or something on the quad, it's something else. And so when that happens, that we we can kind of start to build some sort of probable narrative around, hey, this this groin muscle was probably dysfunctional and therefore it could not properly stabilize the hip and knee joints. And therefore that hamstring was essentially holding on for dear life, trying to like work a double shift, do its job and also the job of that other dysfunctional muscle. And when it was in that state trying to hold on, it was just more easily, you know, it's bracing. And so when you go to run and do these powerful movements, it can be more easily pulled apart essentially. And so, so we can find where some of those underlying issues are that likely set the person up for injury in the first place. And, you know, it's usually, it's usually related. It's, it's, you know, more commonly every once in a while, you'll find one where it's like, huh, this is the contralateral limb, or that's a funny, that's weird. But normally it's, you know, you find something in that same limb or something that's, that's, you know, logically related to where it makes sense. But even if, even if it seems like it makes sense, whatever we find, we basically have to put on our detective hat because we're doing this, this, this whole approach, I would call functional neurology. I didn't make that up, but I think it kind of fits under that umbrella. So when we're doing functional neurology, we're essentially playing detective. We're trying to find what what inputs we can give into this, you know, black box of the nervous system. And then we're trying to see what outputs come out. And so if we, if we're on the, if we're stimulating these one or two spots and the person feels better, great. What we found was related to why they were why they had limited range of motion, why they had all these protective patterns, you know, the, the brain perceived that loading that area was threatening. And now we've taught the brain that it's safe to allow that area to work again. And now things are feeling better and working better. That's good. We kind of went upstream and found that first domino. That's awesome. If for some reason it doesn't work, we know, okay, that, that, that wasn't it. Now let's try others. And so we can kind of play detective and take that iterative, iterative approach, but uh, it can be you know, oftentimes muscles that are related to moving that joint or synergistic or antagonist muscles, or sometimes it is closer to the area itself. You know, there's this well-established phenomenon of referred pain and trigger points and different things that there, you know, other people are are far more expert and have dove more deeply down that, you know, topic than I have. But um, there's those types of phenomenons talk about like, if you have, if you have a rotator cuff injury, you know, the rotator cuff muscles are actually on the back side of the shoulder on the shoulder blade, but sometimes they can refer that pain can refer into the front and stuff like that too. So those are conversations that we sometimes would have to have, or that practitioners would have to have with people to say like, yeah, you're feeling the pain there, but it's actually from this muscle here. And then even better, let's work on that muscle there. We have this hypothesis and if we're right, you'll feel better. And then we'll all feel, then, then, you know, we'll all feel better. Right. So that'll, that'll be great for everybody. Yeah. yeah. It almost doesn't yeah. matter like what came first, chicken or the egg. It's like, if it works, it works. And, and this really fits into like the root causes approach that we talk so much about on the podcast and in the, in the functional world. Like if we zoom out and get a greater perspective of how the ecosystem is functioning as a whole, we get more information. And we talk a lot about like the bucket theory. One, it could be one thing that kind of spills your bucket over. In my case, it was whatever I did that night before that my ankle started hurting and I could blame that one thing or I could zoom out and say, oh, there were already previous imbalances or stress responses. And through the scan, I mean, that was so revealing. I had pain in my ankle, but I found all kinds of stuff like up into my hip complex and my my quads and my hamstrings. But if I didn't have that scan, that diagnostic feature, I would have just been hyper-focused on the ankle, the ankle, the ankle, the ankle. And I think a lot of us do that when we feel pain. We're like, I got to just keep focusing on this and I'll just, you know, we beat our heads against the wall. 
if I do enough for this one area, then it'll get better. And that's, I think that's a stress response in itself. So it sounds like this is really like the ability to zoom out in a really powerful way. Hey there, biohackers. We've got an exciting new sponsor to share with you today. New Brew, the groundbreaking non-alcoholic functional beverage that's taking the market by storm. If you're looking for an alternative to alcohol or coffee, or maybe even both, look no further. New Brew has expertly blended precise low doses of kava root, kratom leaf, and caffeine to deliver effects you can actually feel. Kava root, sourced from the Pacific Islands, is known for its relaxing properties. We've talked about this one a lot on the podcast. And it's traditionally used in social rituals for centuries. It's a game changer. And kratom, derived from the leaf of a tropical evergreen tree in Southeast Asia, is traditionally brewed into a tea for enhanced energy and productivity. Each can of new brew contains 125 milligrams of kava, 25 milligrams of kratom, and 30 milligrams of caffeine. And here's the best part. All of Nubru's active ingredients are third-party lab-tested for purity, potency, and overall safety. Now, it comes in three flavors, citrus, berry, and mango, with my personal favorite being mango. I'm actually sipping on it as I speak. (laughs) And whether you need an afternoon boost, a socializing drink, or a productivity kick, Nubru has you covered. I absolutely love it as my happy hour treat because it gives me a little energy boost and mental clarity, as well as a euphoric feeling, almost like I had a cocktail. And it doesn't disrupt my sleep. But please remember to drink responsibly. Each can is meant for those over 21, and it's not recommended to mix it with alcohol or to consume more than two cans in a day. Like coffee or alcohol, new brew can be habit-forming, so sip slowly and assess your tolerance. And if you're in recovery or living a 100% sober lifestyle, we recommend steering clear of new brew. So please stay informed and learn about responsible kava and kratom use at drinknewbrew.com. And if you're ready to give it a try, head on over to drinknewbrew.com and use discount code biohackerbabes to save 25%. Cheers, my friends. Yeah. And sometimes it is the the ankle and sometimes the things that you had tried, the peptides, the red light, the other things you had listed, sometimes they would do it, but you know, oftentimes not. Uh, and so it is a matter yeah. of finding that thing. Uh, if I, if I could also just one other example of that bucket metaphor, that that's really fascinating. So we talk a lot about the, the biopsychosocial model of pain. So when people have chronic pain, there, there's all these different contributing factors to it. And essentially we, we use that same model of a, of a bucket where if you, if you have some sort of tissue damage that goes in the bucket, but also if you didn't sleep well last night or are reacting to a food or, I have other stressors and challenges in your life that goes into the same bucket. And so there's this really interesting phenomenon that, you know, maybe some of your listeners will have experienced where if we have pain, like hopefully people aren't in pain right now, but if you do have pain, think about where it is. And I would be willing to bet that for virtually everyone here, that when you do have pain, like, you know, throughout your, your life, it tends to be in the same place. And part of the reason for that is that if imagine your bucket is near near full and then you you're facing a deadline at work and your boss is criticizing you and you start to think oh my gosh I could lose my job and that has survival benefit survival ramifications right because if I can't afford to pay my rent or or put food on the table like I'm in deep trouble right so it, so it actually activates this really intense fear response that might not seem rational but is there nevertheless and so if you know we don't have we don't have it well then also pain is our brain's way of saying change your behavior do something different and yet we don't have a 
I'm at risk of losing my job muscle or, or tendon to start triggering for pain. And so if the brain wants to use pain as a signal to get us to do something different, it's not going to invest the energy and resources to build some whole new elaborate pain pathway. It's going to use a well-rehearsed pre-existing pathway. And so a lot of times when people have pain in one place, like, like for me, that would be my right hip where I've had all sorts of also structural stuff with, you know, from playing ice hockey and cartilage damage and we had one surgery and stuff like that. But, um, you know, so, so if I feel pain there, sometimes it's not from anything I did, you know, structurally to, to my hip. Sometimes it's from, gosh, I flew in late last night and I had to eat some, some foods that didn't react that well with me. And, uh, you know, these different stresses and challenges that I've got three events, you know, coming up back to back. And it's just like, my body's having a little trouble keeping up with it. And, and so that, that could be the trigger. So that's, it's kind of interesting when you're looking at chronic pain, because of course, pain sucks and it can be, you know, especially some of these more severe like CRPS type or fibromyalgia type pain syndromes can be debilitating for people. But, but sometimes understanding this, this kind of underlying neuroscience of pain is empowering because it helps us understand that we have some avenues whereby we can intervene and potentially help people. And sometimes just the understanding alone helps reduce the perception of threat by giving some predictability and understanding. And sometimes that just some, sometimes that alone can help. Yeah. I think that's yeah. so true. We so quickly just veer to, oh, pain is bad and now I'm flawed and something is wrong rather than entertaining the curiosity or just trying to get to know the communication. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you, when you mentioned the bucket, I just couldn't help but, but uh, share that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, no, that's fascinating. so fascinating. The well-rehearsed pathway. Yeah. Wow. And so for me, I think, I, I know I talked about my left knee, but my low back it's probably like the bigger one. So 25 years ago, I had two stress fractures in my SI joint. And well, two kind of interesting stories. One, people are always like, oh, how did you get that injury? And I had landed a jump in ballet class one day and I got, I felt the shooting pain go all the way from my ankle all the way up to my neck. And that was the day that I knew there was a problem, but there was so much that led up to that. I mean, so many muscular imbalances, ballet itself is... <laughs> very aggressive on the body. So that was kind of like the the day the bucket I guess overflowed, right? That one that one landing, but I did notice that the two times in my life where that back pain was the worst were my grandfather's funeral and one of my really good friends' funerals. Two funerals. It was like I mean the ballet definitely hurt my back. I was in pain a lot, but the two days of funerals it was like excruciating back pain. And that's a, that's a you know mental emotional piece, but but so that's interesting what you said that is it's going to go to that pain pathway. It was like we already got the back pain, let's just light it up. <laughs> Oof, yeah, wild yeah. experience, yeah. Fortunately, I have not had that in a long long time. But thank goodness, and I hope, yeah. I hope we don't again. Yeah, but it is it is <laughs> yeah it is um, you know it's interesting to kind of reflect back on that example because you don't have a yeah. have a grief sadness, like muscle to make hurt. Right. I mean, you know, mm. it doesn't really compute. Right. Yeah. So that, that's part mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. It's yeah, fascinating. It's so wild. So can you talk a little bit about what happens next? And there are so many other capabilities behind this, uh, beyond the rehabilitation phase, which I really want to get into. Um, but just from a pain or I don't want to say, do you, can we say treat? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the device, you know, it's a medical device and it's FDA cleared for treating 
chronic and acute pain and reducing spasms, increasing range of motion, neuromuscular reeducation, you know, and, and a few others. So yeah, for sure. Okay. I'm okay. always, you know, cautious around that word, but <laughs> so treating these uh, aches and pains, what can someone expect to feel and what does that look like for someone well, it's who's a, totally just, unfamiliar? Just to close the loop in treating. So, so, you know, the device, obviously you have one of your own and, you know, we had to get a, a you know doctor's note or prescription or something like that, but like to treat, you know, for people who are using it with others, you know, it's a licensed professional or someone working under their supervision. So for them to be using the word treat, you know, stuff, stuff like that is usually more appropriate, but more, a majority of the devices that are out there are going to be in physical therapy, chiropractic offices, or, you know, pro sports teams, the staff is using with their athletes and stuff like that too. So, so in kind of what be, what, what comes after rehab or what else, what else can it do? Is that, was that essentially the question? After we locate the hot spots, like what does this whole process look like of the padding and using the actual device? So, so once we find those areas, we we have our areas of interest, and we want to we want to stimulate them. And what we basically want to do is is teach the brain that it's okay to allow that to happen. That you know, taking the other foot off the brake type of metaphor, teaching the brain that it's that's, that's safe, and we're not going to get hurt if we allow that that muscle or that area to get back to its baseline level. So, so I, I like to, I like to draw a distinction between rehab and training. There's actually a lot of overlap. A lot of the goals are the same. A lot of the techniques are the same. Um, where I would draw the difference is to say rehab is getting rid of these compensatory and protective mechanisms to get back to baseline. And then training is taking that baseline level and raising it and increasing capacity over time. And so in treatment, our first milestone or our first objective is to get the body back to baseline which which means perhaps you know the injured leg now has the same strength and range of motion as the opposite leg or we've met some sort of you know kind of return to normal you know milestone so there's that and then from there we can work on training the nervous system to facilitate greater amounts of speed you know, speed and coordination uh, greater greater ranges of motion, greater strength output. Strength is the skill of contracting more motor units, more muscle fibers at the same time. So there's all these different avenues that we can do, but it's important that we that we first hit that that we, we meet that first objective of getting back to baseline and basically tapping into that reservoir of capability that someone already has. They're just blocking themselves from expressing because the nervous system is is limiting that capability. Mm. And so then, so the next level, that's where you're really seeing people that are using it more for, I guess, like working out, right? Building muscle. So once you're back to baseline, you figure that out, then it's about building muscle. And I'm, I don't know how many people are kind of at that level to be able to do that. So any, anyone who, well, I mean, virtually anyone who, you know, doesn't have symptoms or injury or something could use it for those purposes. Although I will give the the caveat that even if people are coming in to train, it often is worth scanning and finding those hotspots because even people who aren't currently in pain or having symptoms typically have some, you know, movement inefficiencies, some compensatory patterns that right. would be worth cleaning up before embarking on a on a, a more formal training or performance program. And, and that's because you're essentially going to be, if you have any of these underlying, you know, protective patterns, you're you're gonna be you're gonna be instead of walking you know on a on flat ground to make progress you're gonna be basically going uphill it's just gonna be harder because you're having to fight and overcome these underlying issues so it's worth doing but then from there once we get back to that 
you know, back to baseline, which does, again, for many people mean improvement, sometimes even significant improvement. But once we get back to baseline, then the question is, okay, what what is this person's goals? For some people, it is building muscle and it's about body composition because, you know, at one extreme, they're bodybuilders or perhaps they just want to be generally healthy. And they've read the research that, you know, maintaining muscle mass and good body composition is is vitally important for healthy aging. And, you know, maintaining good levels of inflammation and, and, you know, low inflammation and good hormones and, and reducing the risk of fall and severe injury as we get older. So, you know, there's, there's whatever the reason might be, we can use the device to help people work towards that goals through neuromuscular education, through helping people engage and activate their muscles through greater ranges of motion, engage with greater uh, load or tension, um, do it when in cases, especially in cases where traditional resistance exercise is not accessible, but just staying on this topic for a moment. Um, two of the first studies, published studies released on the newbie were looking at the effects of using the newbie on, on muscle hypertrophy. And the first one was an acute study looking at just what happens in the, in the immediately in the 24 and 48 hours after one workout. And then the other one was looking at what happens over a full eight week training cycle. And we essentially found that the same things are happening, whether you use the newbie with no external load or you use traditional resistance exercise, weightlifting, you know, say 75% of one rep max, a weight where you, know, you can do 10 or 12 reps and then you're tired and you couldn't do any more. We, we found that right after a workout and then in terms of muscle growth over a full eight-week training cycle, we essentially see the same things. So it tells us that that using the, the external electricity, using that external signal to engage and activate motor units and, and engage engage the muscles via the nerves can get us similar training effects there in terms of muscle building. Uh, and then you could have other goals like, like you know, if you're on stage and performing, maintaining or increasing your range of motion is something that that you want to work on. And of course, there's a huge neurological component. Your, your brain has to recognize that it's safe to go through all these great ranges of motion in order to allow you to continue to do that. And so there's a strong neuromuscular component there. Uh, and then some people are trying to train for sports performance and other ways. It has to do with speed of movement. And so we might use certain settings on the machine. Uh, if I, I already, already talked about the Soviets sports program once, but one other one other point about them I'll mention. There was a, a great researcher. So some people in the sports world know, like uh, Yuri Verkoshansky is typically credited as being the father of plyometrics. And there was another, another researcher named uh, Vysochin who, who had a paper that he found the underlying factor in speed. So for these category of people that want sports performance, speed is one of the biggest, most prized traits that, that athletes want. And this researcher was trying to look at what was it that separated the, the Soviet athletes that were like great, you know, winning Olympic medals versus the ones that were just good in their region, but couldn't make it to that next level. So we looked at all the different factors and physiological traits. A lot of people thought it was going to be strength. Turns out the strength was number two, but number one, the number one factor was the ability to relax opposing muscles. So if you try to contract really hard in this direction, that's limited. If I'm if I'm if I can relax here, I can move quickly. But if I'm fighting it, it's like, again getting going back to that that metaphor of hitting the throttle and the brake pedal at the same time. The body is resisting its own movements. So so by training the nervous system to turn on and off quickly and get better at relaxing in between contractions, we can actually help program in greater speed. So there's different things we can do once we get into that training realm, depending on, on somebody's goals. That's cool. I didn't know about the speed component. Just such a wide variety of applications. It's just so incredible to me that like a bodybuilder could use this before a show to get like better pump or an athlete 
or a dancer. For, I mean, I was using it a lot before doing shows, just like you said, to increase the mobility and the safety to then the other end of the spectrum, just like really intense rehab. I don't know if you're willing to share Amy's story, but I always think of that as like the the magical gold success story through new fit, but incredible range here. It's, it's also to like, else. I'm thinking like the elderly population that maybe it's not really ideal for them to be lifting a barbell at the gym, like for them to be able to keep on or keep increasing their muscle mass as we age. Cause like you said, it's so important. And I love all the work that Dr. Gabrielle Lyon is doing now, really increasing the awareness around muscle is the longevity organ. And, and I'm personally scared that when I'm 90, I'm not going to be able to work out. So this is super cool technology for that. Yeah. And that's, that definitely seems to be a use case, you know, in the, we have to have our, our scientific uh, reservations here to say, well, the subjects in this study were college students who were able to be recruited on campus at the school that was doing the study. But so we, you know, we haven't studied the elderly population, but there is evidence that that electrical stimulation, even not even the newbie, there's evidence that some electrical stimulation generally can help uh, build muscle mass. And I, of course, believe the newbie can do it even more safely and effectively and, and more sustainably over a long period of time, too. But there is some evidence for that. Uh, Lauren, you mentioned Amy's story as well. So I'd be happy to share that. So I guess I guess I, I'll plug my own book, The New Fit Method. Uh, uh, so in, in the in the introduction to that book, I tell Amy's story and Amy is a, a really fabulous, inspiring woman. She came to see us. She she had a spinal cord injury and was paralyzed for 25 years. She came to see us in her late 40s. The accident was back in her early 20s. She was riding a horse, got thrown off, fell and broke her neck and her thoracic spine and was paralyzed from uh, the belly button down. So she, I don't, I, you know, it's been a, a while since I looked at the details of which vertebrae was broken and and stuff like that. But but generally, she was uh, she was wheelchair bound, and she had adapted to life in her wheelchair. She was, you know, she's, I mean, has a great attitude. Was had a job, has had relationships, and you know, just was was leading a leading a very good life, and doing so in a wheelchair. And someone, she was here in Austin, where our home office is, and so a, a friend referred her in to, you know, saying, Hey, these folks are doing something neurological. Maybe you want to go in and try it out. And she has that great mindset of being open, you know, sure. I'll try it. She wasn't expecting much, but when she came in, she actually very early on started having some new feelings and new sensations and relatively quickly started, you know, getting more sensation and started sweating in her legs below her level of injury, which is, is important because that's a, an indicator that the autonomic nervous system is coming back online. So we talked about the northbound and southbound, right? The, the motor output. We talked about the sensory in, input. Excuse me, just had to get a sip there. So we talked about that, those. Then there's the autonomic nervous system, the signals the nervous system sends to keep our heart beating, to dilate and constrict blood vessels, to cause us to sweat. And so the fact that she was having better circulation and her legs were warmer and the fact that she was sweating down, down in her lower extremity was a great sign because that told us that the nervous system was starting to communicate down there. And then she started being able to sense hot and cold and feel the surface of the ground underneath her feet. And then she started getting a little bit of movement back. And then over the course of, of a year and a half or two years, she went through learning to literally roll and crawl and walk and going through the same developmental sequences that we would go through learning to walk as, as young children. And there's a, a great story where it was around the holidays and she had arranged uh, a big gathering of many of her family members at a restaurant. And 
she arranged so that they would all be there. And she came in and of course they're expecting her to see her in her, in her wheelchair. And she walked in in a walker and this is the first time her family had seen it. And so they're just like, Oh, they're going crazy. And people are crying and have the biggest smiles on their faces. And just to hear her talk about this, you know, it's, it was amazing. But, um, so she, you know, we have a, a very wonderful video of her talking about her experience and she's very graciously, she came on and did an episode of our podcast and shared her experience and everything. And, and it's, it's great for what happened to her. And it's great because it inspires other people to know that more is possible, that, that the the power of neuroplasticity and the, the ability that we have as humans to adapt to our environment, to adapt to change, to heal from trauma is significant and powerful, even after 25 years when it's been written off that, that she could ever heal in any, you know, in any real significant way. It's incredible. Mm. Mind-blowing. Yeah. It's a long so time incredible. too. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, yeah. yeah. On, on that, a similar topic, what about with like MS or ALS? Is there anything in that world with NuFit? So, there is, and it's a, a similar, you know, like with Amy, we talked about neuroplasticity. So similar for patients with MS, we've actually now, we, you know, our team in Austin and also the network of uh, what we call New Fit Nation, the, you know, hundreds of clinics around the country that are using the newbie. you know, collectively, we've now worked with many hundreds or likely a few thousand MS patients. And a large part of that is because of the the work we've done with Dr. Terry Walls. So she's the author of the Walls Protocol, W-A-H-L-S. Um, I know you two know who she is. I'm not sure if you've had her on the show uh, yet, but but she's she's fabulous. And we should. Uh, we should. Yeah, that would, be, should that would be, be great. Yeah, I'd be happy to happy to introduce you if uh, if that's if you'd like. But uh, so she um, she has the the Walls Protocol, and she is a real pioneer and leader, researcher and educator in in the you know ms in the ms community so she herself has ms was debilitated was in a wheelchair and used her walls protocol developed it essentially on herself got herself out of a wheelchair got herself to the point where she was able to bicycle in a race that was you know 50 miles long and however long it was and you know it's just this literally the the poster child the poster woman for for what can be done and so you know we we met through a mutual friend started talking and her program is wonderful for stopping the progression of MS, making sure people you know don't get worse, stopping the decline. But then, and that's awesome. That's a prerequisite. That's vitally important. Cannot undersell how important that is. And then you get to the point where someone says, okay, I've stopped the, stopped the decline here. Now, what can I do to restore the function that was lost in the first place? And that's where she recognized kind of an opportunity there there didn't really wasn't really much to offer there so so we started working together and and sharing the message of new fit and what the newbie can do with her audience and now thousands of ms patients have gone through and you know it takes time just like it did with amy because neuroplasticity you need to create enough inputs to drive these changes you need to give the raw materials you need to build these new patterns and the underlying nerves and connections between them and all these things that, that take time and energy and effort and raw materials but working with her now, we've seen many similar success stories of people who have gotten out of wheelchairs, regained their autonomy, gotten you know gotten their driver's licenses back, or or been able to walk more smoothly without tripping because their drop foot is you know they don't have drop foot anymore. They have more sensation in their hands. They can play the piano. They can manipulate food, uh, uh, silverware, you know, in, implements, and feed themselves now, and all these different things. So we hear these these wonderful stories. It does take time. It's not a magic pill. But it, the way the way I describe it is, look, if, if you're going to take a journey from 
New York to Los Angeles, there's a there's a fixed distance that you have to go unless we're talking about quantum entanglement or something. But let's ignore that for now. But there's a fixed <laughs> distance you have to go. And you have a few choices. You can do that. You can do traditional therapy, which is basically like walking or riding horseback. Or you can use technology like the newbie, which is going to be the equivalent of hopping on an airplane. You're still there's still a finite. There's still the same amount of work you have to do. Still the same amount of distance you have to ground you have to cover. But you can do it in ways that are that are safer. You can do it in ways that are much more time efficient and much more effective, and you know probably probably better overall for a variety of reasons. Mm, great yeah, analogy. Great. I would yeah. prefer to fly and get there a little faster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. more efficient. Yep, time effective. That's right. Oh, yeah. It's I mean, it's really miraculous. And I think it's so important for people to hear these stories because there is hope. I think a lot of times we go through these challenges and injuries and we just think, oh, that's that's the rest of time. That's just how it's going to be. And there's just so many possibilities. So thank you for explaining how the nervous system works. I think this is going to be truly like mind blowing for our audience. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to share those stories. I mean, of course, you never want to overpromise and give anyone false hope. And um, yeah, I'm certainly trying not to do that. But but when there are legitimately, you know, hundreds and hundreds of these types of stories, we do want to make sure people know about them because it could provide legitimate hope in cases where people don't have any. So uh, mm-hmm. it's you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's I'm it's glad to glad too. to be out here talking about these with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, and as you met, mentioned, it's not a magic pill. Nothing is right. We have to put in the work. But it's nice to know that our toolbox. Is, is expanding. We have more tools that we can use. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So as we start to wrap things up, I'm sure people are that are listening are thinking like, okay, I want to do this. Where do they go? Where do they go? If they're not in Austin or New York City, what's so, the best place to get started? So if you would like to, if, if you're an individual who, you know, is dealing with some sort of pain or injury or thinking you want to use this to optimize workouts or anything that you're doing, the best place to start is probably to go to our website, which is www.new.fit, N-E-U, like neurological, and then just .fit. And on there, there's there's a like a four practitioners and a four patients tab. If you click the four patients tab, you, there's a directory button. So you can go on and look up. Uh, it's I think there's, you know, probably needs to be updated a little bit, but virtually all of the, the clinics that are offering the newbie um, are going to be listed on there. So there's you know, several hundred around the U.S. now, and then it's expanding into other countries as we establish relationships with other distributors. So there's some in Canada, some in Australia now. Um, got someone coming online in in Mexico soon, and that. And then Great. if you know, I know you have practitioners in your audience, so if anyone was interested in going in in actually bringing the device into their business and offering these services, um, on the, also on the website there, there's a link for practitioners, and you can submit your information, schedule a call with our team. You know, we'd, we'd uh, love to talk with you and explore how we might be able to work together. Awesome. Thank you for that. We're also going to link to your book because I think that's just a fabulous, free, accessible, not free, but an accessible, very accessible resource for our audience. But um, before we wrap up, we would love to ask you for one final piece of advice before they get to access the amazing newbie. What's something that our audience can start doing today to optimize their health? Gosh, that I don't know that I can say anything different than what you've covered in in all of your podcasts. I know uh, one of the biggest levers I've found in my own life is circadian biology, is really optimizing circadian rhythms. So I would, I know you've covered that. So I'm nothing new. I'll just reemphasize that. Um, in terms of the themes, in terms of the themes that we talked about today, I would say try to go 
to the root cause, whether it's pain or whether it's fatigue, you know, really, really try to put on that detective hat and see if you can figure out what's going on, you know, what's, what's going on that caused the thing that you're experiencing. Why is that happening? Try and try and ask in, in uh, quality control for manufacturing and stuff like that. They have this process called the five whys. You ask why something happened. Well, why did that happen? You ask why, you know, ideally within five times, you actually get to the root cause of the problem. So uh, I think, uh, I I love that. Asking why. why (laughs) Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I've never heard of that. It's the best question of all time. Why? Why? (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for saying that. And and like anything that's worth doing is worth repeating. So yes, thank you for sharing the circadian biology. I think that's so powerful. In addition to everything you shared today, we're so grateful that you spent your time with us. This is long overdue. It is. Yes. Thank you both for having me on. I know uh, it, it is long overdue and and the best things are worth waiting for. Heck yeah. We agree. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, thanks Great. so much, Garrett. Thank you yeah. both. And thanks to everyone that tuned in today. We'll see you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional.